to GNT, the podcast from political blog The Groucho Tendency. Hello and welcome to GNT, the politics podcast from political blog The Groucho Tendency, giving a balanced take on current affairs. I can thank Matthew Wright from Talk Radio for coming up with that tagline for me this week. I like it and I'm going to keep using it. Uh, my name is Mike Indian, I am the blog's editor and author, and I am joined as ever by Sion Park's very own Nostradamus, yeah. the number one political stage, the only accurate source of predicting this general election. It is, of course, Liam Kay. Yep. Nice to be here, as always. <laughs> we are back in Westminster this Sunday at the Speaker Pub again, and I think... Well, we, we recorded here last time, and mm-hmm. we liked it so much we came back, because it's got a lovely vibe, but the only people actually currently in the pub as well. And very, very nice railway porter. Yes, and I've got a, <laughs> uh, an alcohol-free ghost ship, which is quite nice as well. So, I think before we we carry on, there's a lot to talk about in the last three weeks since we did a podcast. This is a lot yes. sooner than we normally do our Groucho Tendency um, meetups. But I think one of the things we've got to mention is that as we're in the speaker, uh, we have a new speaker. We do, yes. And the obvious choice. The obvious choice it was. <laughs> uh, the, right, the right choice? I think so, yes. So the man we're talking about here is um, Sir Lindsay Hoyle, who as of two weeks ago, blimey, maybe even three weeks ago, and I'm losing track of time, uh, is now Speaker of the House of Commons. So he is the Labour MP, was the Labour MP for Chorley since 1997, John Burko's uh, deputy for 10 years, uh, and somebody who, it's fair to say, I think the words of Laura Kunzberg of the BBC, very well liked, very well respected as a, as a choice of speaker as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, was he the right person for the job? I, I think so. I mean, like, he's always impressed when he's had to do the budget. Um, he has a lot of respect across the Commons, yeah. uh, as you can see by the fact that they voted him in the first place. Um, he always, and he's not as flamboyant as no, he's not. no he's very understated actually but he does have a certain I think uh, as a northerner I quite like his style in, yes. in, in handling uh, rogue MPs You've got so. many, we haven't had many northern speakers I mean, the last one we have was Betty Boothroyd I want to say that good northern off, voice in the chair off the top of my head I think that is most probably the case I mean, Michael, but, um, Michael Martin was MP for Glasgow that you know we're talking about you know He's sort of, he's, he's north of England. Yeah, he's he had a sort of soft Scottish odd, odd type yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we have a new speaker. Uh, yeah. But of course, we're only a stone throw from the Houses of Parliament. But the other reason we're here is this is perhaps the only place in the country where we're not going to find any MPs right now. Yeah. There is normally there might be MPs drifting back here uh, for ahead of a, a week's vote. Uh, tomorrow in Parliament, um, civil servants will be, of course, are still here, but the government is now bound by the pre-election period. Yeah, Perda. Uh, I'm interested enough, I got inadvertently told off for using Perda this week. Um, oh, really? Because I didn't know this. The etymology of the word Perda refers to an ancient uh, Arabic custom of using a curtain to screen women from view. So maybe it is not woke enough to use Perda anymore. I don't know. See, I didn't, I didn't realise this either until literally three days ago. I, I did not even know that was where the term came from. I mean, Liam, Liam, Liam is a fairly enlightened 
enlightened man anyway, so you know we wouldn't, you know, he's woke anyway, so you know we won't, <laughs> we won't judge him for not knowing this. But I genuinely, this is, I won't reference where this is from, but the communication that criticised me for using the word perder started with the words "I don't wish to be overly woke." Which, if you're going to try and criticise somebody for that, do not begin an email like that. It is never going to yeah. put someone on your side. But whoever you are, you know who you are. You were right, and it's going to be the pre-election period from now on. Okay. So, anyway, it's a general election. Yeah. Very exciting. It certainly is. And Although, not much seems to have happened so far. No, we were only at the end of the second week of campaigning, the first full one. Although, I think we could argue that the election campaign kind of began really kind of a back about September, I think it's fair to say, when Boris Johnson first said he wanted one, he'd been going all over the country doing visits. I arguably could go right back to the beginning of the Conservative leadership election because I think that's that's quite clearly where the idea came in. So we've been in so we've been in kind of like campaigning mode for a while. I think I think about that speech Boris gave in front of the police officers in uh, the north of England. I forget where police training academy. It was in West Yorkshire. West Yorkshire. Thank you. I was forgetting it was somewhere near your neck of the woods. So with the material kind of already laid out before us. We have a campaign period now. We have a short campaign. We are three and a half weeks away from polling day, as we record this. Yeah. And we're doing something a little bit different in this podcast. Let's just... So, as, as things currently stand, three and a half weeks yeah. to go, it's looking like a choice between... This is the words of John Curtis, who's the eminent election expert, runs the BBC's election poll. It's going to be... Boris Johnson having a majority of them. No one's talking about the Corbyn majority government. Yes. That's amazing. I think that's, that's completely astonishing. But we, we would not even count on the possibility that there could be an even Labour, a Labour government with a majority of one. I mean, it's certainly something I wouldn't rule out. But it, I think it would take something out of the ordinary yeah. to produce it. And I don't think it's some. Labour either has to have pretty much the perfect election and a near catastrophic election from the Tories to do it, or there needs to be some sort of event that will completely shape the election. I mean, there is a NATO summit coming. There is, yeah. Donald Trump is going to be let loose. Well, not that I'm sure that you can actually control the man. And um, <laughs> you control the so, um, But now yeah, I'm pretty sure people have their views on him. So I'm not overly sure if there's anything that can come from that. I mean, Donald, um, Trump, Donald Trump's already weighed in on this campaign anyway, hasn't he? I mean, that mm. phone called Nigel Farage in the first week of the campaign, and him, him sort of backing Boris. And yeah, I mean, if anything, I think. Corbyn would absolutely love the fact that the, uh, the extremely unpopular US president is uh, <laughs> weighing in on the side of absolutely. his opponent. Absolutely. So, uh, it's the, the opposite of Obama. You know, if Obama would have got involved, everybody would have been courting his, uh, his uh, sort of, you know, backing. But um, Donald, I think it's pretty much uh, trying to avoid him actually saying that he has this preference for anybody at all. I think this is amazing, isn't it? Remember when President Obama came over here in 2016, which is his last kind of big domestic intervention in Britain, and he stood 
alongside David Cameron, and he praised Cameron for the credits that he should remain. And even though in 2015 it was pretty clear that Obama wanted Cameron rather than Ed Miliband to be Prime Minister. I think it's fair to say, certainly that the basketball game that he and Cameron went to. So the US presidents are always going to have a preference for a candidate, aren't they? Certainly. Um, one of the things that I've always found fascinating about Donald Trump is that people don't you know, always say he's a liar, but they take everything, they report everything he says. Mm. You know, I mean, you know, the, the, man, the man is, you know, for example, he was saying, um, you know, the NHS wouldn't be up to sell on a trade deal. I don't think anybody, apart from the people who believe that to be the case, the US are going to want greater access to the NHS for their drug companies. That is just, it's a massive market for them, potentially. Why wouldn't yeah. they want to sell you know, their medicines at a fair price from their perspective into it? I mean, some of the things that we sort of say with the sort of trade deal as well, and sort of like, you know, like, oh, all the agriculture uh, and food sort of standards and everything like that, mm. um, politicians go, oh, we won't have, they always say specific things, which is always key, that there'll be no chlorinated chicken. That, that doesn't... hormone-injected beef is the other one yeah, that they keep mentioning. There won't be any of that, but there will be greater access in other ways. So there will be a lowering of UK food standards. Yeah, and that's that thing. Because what's the point of a trade deal otherwise? And that's the tra- key thing to remember with any sort of trade deal that the larger party always commands more weight on the smaller ones. Nuclear lowering of regular standards is to be expected. Yeah. But we're going to get sidetracked because we're talking about a trade deal. We're coming up for 10 minutes in now. So we're going to do something a little bit different in this campaign. Now, a lot of you will have seen... A lot, basically, a poll came out this week that said about 42% of people in this election yeah. haven't noticed anything at all. So nearly half of people surveyed couldn't pick out anything in the campaign. And even then, there was no clear single thing that's cut through so far. Yeah. So you had this great idea that we were going to do, which is... A top five biggest sort of uh, hates of the election period, well, generally, and our top five... Greatest loves of the election period as well. So we have got five things to talk about the hating, five things to talk about the loving. Um, Without any further ado, we shall kick off with the top five worst things and going in straight in here at number five or number one, depending on which way you want to do it. The first thing is... The first thing we've got is social media. Now, you talk, this is one of yours, and yes. I can get where you're coming from, so let's just say, for context, digital campaigning is, it's exploded in terms of importance, even in national campaigns, so 2010 it wasn't really a thing, I, I would fair to say, 2015, 2016 for the referendum, 2017, Tories suffered from a lack of digital campaigning, you could argue, yeah. 20, 2019, Labour have always been way ahead of the minister. 2019, the Tories have recruited two blokes known as the Kiwis to go and do the guy called Sean Topham, which is a great name. <laughs> going to work in CCH2 on it. So they're deadly serious about the digital campaign. But why do you hate this? It's all the bloody memes. <laughs> There's a, Tim, the, more, if you're listening to this, this means you. <laughs> yes, this just inundation of pointless most 99% inaccurate rubbish about what another party, never about their own party as well I find you sort of like, yeah, it's, it's, it's across all sides it's you know I've, I've seen ones sort of you know discussing 
conservative policy on the NHS, um, which is inaccurate. I've seen ones that are talking about um, Jeremy Corbyn's support for various different groups, which are not accurate, no. Um, I've seen Lib Dem ones about um, the two Leave supporting parties, which is... I'm stretching it a bit. I've nothing with the Lib Dems. I I have seen a few from the Lib Dems, and the Lib Dems um, have a lot of target lists. Yes, I I think so. I think so. It's uh, the 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 problem with having, I think, quite a a broad, wide-ranging set of Facebook and uh, Facebook friends is you just get inundated with all sides, and you just. I mean, does anybody actually get persuaded by any of this? I mean. It just makes me let every time I see a meme, it just makes me think. I'm not even sure I want to vote for you if this is what you're sharing around the internet. It's a very good point, and I've been watching the BBC. Now, I should say, in terms of digital campaigning, I am a complete analogue. You know, I I do not do a bit of Facebook advertising for the Grouch Returns in the past. Yeah, but it's you know, the targeting I will say is very impressive. But the Facebook yeah. is putting some new new controls. We're not just talking about Facebook, we're talking about Twitter, Instagram. Yeah, and one of the things that I've heard about is this concept of boomer memes. Yeah, this is the idea that parties. Some of the content you've seen, particularly from the Tories, for example, and, and momentum, and Labour momentum. Is there is a real, there's some real high quality video content going out online, you know. Yeah. And momentum tends to be sort of, there was one they did a, a challenge of trying to name, talk about Labour's Brexit policy inside a minute, explain it in under a minute. Yeah. And the guy did it in 20 seconds. Not fully, I should say, but they, you know, it's a great little thing to share. Tories did the one this week, you probably saw it as well, with Boris walking around saying, make a cup of tea. Oh, yeah. Being questioned by, um, cheery cockney bloke now Michael Spicer who does the, the great room next door sketches yeah. advisor next door mean copied that I should say you know it parodied it but even then that's sharing the election content and you know the BBC did their own equivalent of the, the Boris T one for Adam yeah. Fleming and Brexit cast there was a, a woman from a recruitment agency specialising in women finance who did her own one so this is a, you're right. There's this sort of viral parody to it. Well. It feels like we're being played sometimes. I think in terms of the yeah. of this content. I mean, there was things of, and you get the. I mean, there was one that the the Tories did a poll on uh, what Jeremy Corbyn will nationalise next, and the thing that came top was uh, it was a joke poll. So obviously, all of them were ridiculous. But Arsenal FC was the top. And then The Independent did a story about how it massively backfired because all these people were going, oh, Arsenal would be so much better if they were nationalised. Uh-huh. Kind of going like, well, well the we joke is... Arsenal, though, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> if you get away with yeah. it. You would I, do the massive Arsenal fan. I mean, to, He's a gooner. To certain sets of voters, they would be thinking that, A, that just highlights how yeah. Yeah, the Labour Party's going to be reckless with spending and people share it like, you know, oh... <laughs> It's, it's these sort of designed, sort of viral things that a lot of the times have most probably come up with somebody from party headquarters has gone, hey, should we create this little meme and just put it out there and see what happens? And you just kind of, it's just, they're, they're awful. You can't always awful. tell where they're from as well. Like there was a picture of Ed Miller Jeremy Corbyn this week who went up to do 
something around the flooding. Uh, and the pictures I've got to say were absolutely amazing. Look, it's something of like a really gruff ITV, you know, like crime job. Dr- 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 I think it, it looked like it looked like season they, they were gen- season three of Broadchurch, basically. They, they, they were genuinely very good though, and that's that sort of like meme kind of something that's organic, somebody seen a good photo, somebody seen something interesting. It's like whereas I'm not sure I need to see another one with a picture of Jesus saying the Tory Jesus will get you off welfare or whatever. You can work again, and he's like he's going like, well, somebody's obviously just come up with. Uh, it's just l- lazy rubbish stuff like that. Yeah. I'd much rather see a nice picture of Ed Miliband looking um, and dishevelled and um, sort of frankly terrifying behind um, a very gruff oh. Corbyn. Oh, that 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 that, that the caption I saw for this one was: "We're here to eat bacon rolls and redistribute your wealth, and we're all out of bacon rolls." <laughs> it's my personal favourite. But just... then uh, another one was they had it as the hunted. <laughs> that's TV good. show that's TV great show. I would watch that <laughs> not party political I would just watch that that was amazing and to see into another one one of the another one of the I think worst ones that I've seen is the Conservatives put a picture and it was quite obviously the outline of a bus coming oh, 15th of one. November does anybody actually like to go into number two the most hated things anyone Actually, like battles. <laughs> oh, <God>. uh, <laughs> I don't. Uh, I think you know most enduring American battle buses is probably the brand of 2017 with Theresa May's Conservatives on them, and just her massive picture of her face on the side of this bus. Yeah, looking very awkward. All the parties have got one. Although my personal favourite was in the European election. If you saw Change UK's bus in that election. The branding was so rubbish. It was dreadful. It was shite. It was shit. But you know, it, it just it looked amateurish. They put so much into these battle buses, but in reality, nobody cares. If I saw one of those down the street, I would turn around and would go back home. I mean... It's just like, you know, the Lib Dems have got one that's electric powered. Which yeah. has Joe Swinson in the same way of like Theresa May, like the big picture. She's done, she's done like what I would call her MS photo shoot for this. So she's got a, a nice top on and a jacket yeah. sort of pop to hip. And she's, you know, she's like, you know, and she's like, hands in the pockets. She's like, I'm sort of like young, trendy, you know. And she's I mean, fair, Jeff Boris and Corbyn, you know, she does look young and trendy, given Boris and Corbyn. She does. Um, equally, I think the British, the polling so far suggests the British public doesn't actually know who she is. So, I mean, like whether or not to put her face on the battle bus, I think is probably a little bit premature until she uh, gets a little bit more airtime. No, no, I think it's, we're going to come back to Joseph and later on how she's trying to break into the campaign. Mm. One of the things that we get with the battle bus is a lot. The things that they tend to feature in the campaign is if an interview is done by the political editors, usually, yeah. with the leaders on the, the back seat of the battle bus. So, like, Lord Peston performed with Boris Johnson this week. Um, she was saying round to number three, and like, this is one of my. I'd just like to I'd just like to say I mean I, I think the 2016 referendum I think should have given everybody a bit of a wake up call into not to have buses anywhere near British politics because they, they only they only ever ever lead to terrible things happening and don't write you know don't write the overall figure on it don't write the figure it doesn't include the net rebate of 170 million pounds just don't have a bus just get the train like normal people yeah exactly <laughs> Anthony Eden did in 1955 generally like he took the train all over the country and you know what people at wait train stations turned out to wait and it looked brilliant 
Exactly. Do that. Who would not want crowds of people? You're going to get crowds of people anyway, but you know, if you turn up to Waterloo... You might improve something. London Euston then. No, nowhere in that dead-eyed mess of the state. Yeah. It's just like, you know, at least it looks like you actually... Um, if you want to put money into the trains, you, know, you would have actually um, used them. <laughs> All right, so try to neatly segue into number three there. So inevitably the elections bring a fair degree of media scrutiny and I was going to make this point about one person in particular but I have to think for the sake of balance even though I'm not covered by Ofcom rules mention that politicians interacting with the media in the and 2017 the worst thing about 2017 was that there's no Theresa May particularly and Corbyn were guilty of a lack of media opportunities, you know, like neither really yeah. helped press conference. I've been to a Corbyn, a Corbyn press conference before, during the 2016 referendum, and it was the single-handedly the ugliest thing I've ever been to in politics, and it was a room, it was the uh, Royal Institute of Civil Engineering, just down from uh, where I work now in Strand, yeah. uh, a nice building, big hall, uh, Corbyn's second big speech of the year referendum. And I was lucky to get sitting in with the broadcasters, and I was sitting in front of the big sort of three, you know, you had Prize on Islam, Gary Gibbons, Laura Kunzberg, Robert Preston all sitting behind me. And I'm unashamed of the for Laura Kunzberg, you know, I yeah. make no bones about that. But the, the way that the senior politicians of the Conservative and Labour Party have handled the media in the last few campaigns has been absolutely appalling. Yeah. And I think what we have to say about this election is that 2017, the like Theresa May genuinely barred the media from some events, like she shut local journals actually gave the same answer. So from her side of things, she gave the same responses to each question, so interviews became boring, basically. She couldn't give the journalists anything she could write about. She yeah. let the readers to get anything she to read about. So there was nothing apart from that. She didn't feel she had anything to offer to the campaign apart from her additional lines. To his credit, Boris Johnson actually does give very interesting interviews when he's let off leave him a bit. He does go on that way. For me, the single-handed thing I've always disliked is Jeremy Corbyn's attitude to the media and it's the obvious irritation he shows with the press. Yes, he does this. Every, he did this today on Andrew Mudd. So he stops and goes, "Can you all behave, please?" Under, under, he said this great line in Blackwood. He said, "Under socialism, he said, you'll all cooperate." That's not at all medicine. I mean, when you stand on this, I, 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 have to, I have to say the, the amount of people that are going like, um, think that a better Britain will involve people booing the a free press at events. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't understand. We would wear journalists with bias and just that was better. I don't see how it's a bad thing to have a free press. I, I, I do, I do find it sort of staggering that people, people don't trust the press, which is completely, completely fine. I mean, there's, you know, people have their biases. People also don't trust politicians. They trust politicians less than they trust journalists, though. Yes, and. At a state agent's bottom yeah. line, so you're a state agent, second. But, you know, at the end of the day, you can't, you know, if you're a Labour, if you're a Labour um, candidate, you can't just go, oh, I know that, you know that what the Daily Mail's going to write about, so it's fine. Do you really need to boo them? I mean, if, the, if a Conservative Party event was booing The Guardian or The Mirror, you'd be outraged. And 
you know, people be saying it's a sign of how extreme the party is, and I don't understand why people think that. Therefore, the other way, it's perfectly. It's not. It's perfectly fine, and it makes you win voters. I think it turns voters off. And you know, if if somebody's asking a genuine question and they're booed before the leader speaks, then on a TV broadcast it makes it makes it makes your leader's answer look terrible Corbyn has been, before it even starts. John McDonald, for his credit, has been rather more annoying with the media lately than but, you know Corbyn, Corbyn has none of that tolerance. It, 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 it should be pointed out that you know as much as as much as obviously the Daily Mail never backed Labour. At, under um, sort of golden ground, they also refrain from going over the top criticism because golden ground made a point of bringing them inside. I mean, talking to them, we should say there are no places where the press, you know, when we talk about Levison here, for example, like you know, yes. the Murdoch press, particularly, has always had a very capricious relationship with leading politicians, like Rebecca Brooks and David Cameron, were far too close, for example. You know, the way that, you know, I think it was, but they go, the, the male went after Ed Miliband in a way that wasn't acceptable, went after his dad as well. So, yes. you know, there are certain, we can't defend, sit here, even you know, defend all sections of the press, but the editors of national broadcasters, the broadcasters that got booed by Corbyn supporters at the, you know, this event, and she's been continually targeted. She had walked around at Labour, Labour conference, I think, last year, when we were in Liverpool, you and I were in Liverpool, yeah, yeah. with security. How is that acceptable? And the thing is, you watch, you listen, watch and listen to Laura Tunesberg, and I don't even get where the thing about bias comes from. I mean, she's quite fair with the questions. She gives tough questions to all sides. Yeah, and she doesn't show she'll, she'll take, as far as I know. She'll take apart the Tories just as quickly and easily as Labour. I think it does show a bit of a defensive... Um, Outlook um, and a little bit of a lack of confidence actually in the party in its own leader. If people so quickly um, going to jump on any any criticism from a journalist who is, I mean, they say unbiased, so therefore she's not going to be supporting the Labour Party. Is she? she has. He's bound by rules to be impartial. Maybe yeah. because it's BBC and B broadcast media. Even print journalists can ask questions. You know, I mean, you're a print journalist. You know, I yeah. work with magazine. I write a blog, so I'm not constrained by any of the, you know, the, the, the mitigations of, you know, and I like to think, you know, this whole point of this podcast, the whole point of this book that we've both written before, is that we try to give a balanced perspective. So we've, we've apportioned blame there. The bottom line is here, repeatedly with Corbyn, which is irritation with the media, and I think I'd be naive, or just plain insidious, in terms of wanting to avoid scrutiny. Yes. However, segueing neatly to point four, there is a form of scrutiny. All politicians have to put themselves out of an election. It may not be for broad issues, but they do have to say occasionally do unusual things in order to get them. Photo opportunities. Photo Yes. We hate that. Yes. I mean, I mean, just this week we've had two that have gone to a boxing gym. This is giving Archer for Archer Swinson. Yes. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit one of those hell yeah, tough enough moments and you kind of just go like, does anybody actually look at that and think, oh that's good, now that I've seen Joe Swinson wearing boxing gloves, I'm going to vote for it. And then you get, but you get a punchy though, dear. she's punchy and she's combative and she's there, she's going to give up a left hook to the face of the Tory party and a right hook to the Labour party, keep them in the centre. Yeah, and 
it just looks terrible. <laughs> I mean, can I, can I play those up? <laughs> it's, it's, it's harmless, though, isn't it? I mean, you know, does anybody really buy into this? It's probably, probably we all see it. Like Nick Clegg and the Hedgehog, for example, in 2015. Like, when Nick Clegg ran, like, they, my favourite story about 2015 is they organised a photo op outside the Cabinet Office. The Clegg had been to hand out the seal of the Lord President of the Council to start the election campaign. Then he, went, then he got on a bus and went to a nature sanctuary. And the only video came on the news that night. David Cameron going up to the palace and Miliband outside Labour HQ was Nick Clegg with a hedgehog. Yeah. That was brilliant. I mean, that's, that's a gift that came from giving. And I mean, you can see why they do them, but I mean, like, they always used to be the ones of. George Osborne stood somewhere in high vision with the helmet on, oh, like like he'd wonderful. actually built this factory. <laughs> not had, just turned had. it. The strong economy built the factory. Yeah, carry on message. People, people. I mean, people just ignore it. And if you turn up to their workplace, find it irritating that you've turned up and probably taken a day out. Or, essentially, you've closed the company for about two hours. I mean, like, how many box, how many youngsters are you going to be training to box while um, Nigel Farage or Joe Swinson are just there? Uh, Boris did the his first big speech of the campaign in a. Um, it's not even photo ops, it's also speeches in like locations. So Boris went to a electric taxi factory yeah. in Meineke with the Coventry. And there was a shot of it, and they obviously had a noise people in front of it, but it was the assembly line behind him. There's some worker walking down the assembly line behind the shop with his bag on, either ending a shift or beginning a shift. And he gave a bit of side eye to the camera, a bit like, you know, oh god, I can't believe they're doing this here. <laughs> so the public have to get on with their. I mean, lives, don't they? My absolute favourite so far, I think, of the campaign, Sajid Javid, first major speech that he's going to do about the economy. And he goes, he goes to a museum and he has a speech under the wing of Concord. Which <laughs> there's many, many things about how what the feat of engineering Concord was, but essentially, yes, massive white elephant that essentially was too expensive to run and um, ended because of a crash that killed quite a lot of people and was essentially a relic of the 80s. Yeah, and that's right, hubris. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, it was created in the 70s, but. You know, yeah. it's just the entire thing of Concord. You're going that it is obsolete now. It hasn't run since the early 2000s um, because it essentially didn't work effectively. And I'm not sure a speech about how you're going to transform the economy needs Concord in the background. Did he reference Concord in the speech? I should have seen. I mean, I'm. I'm you don't. You don't. You don't do it. You do not go and do a speech in front of Concord without referencing oh, the fact that Concord's there. Brilliant. <laughs> so a lot. A lot of what we've been talking about here is Westminster reaching out into the outside world. You know, actually, you know, let's face it. Politics is normally kind of confined to this kind of like postcode, SW1 postcode, you know. Yeah. A lot of times, MPs are here, people are, people are political reporters are outside on College Green, not far from where we are here, you know, it's recognised in the centre of politics. But one of the things that, but there are certain jokes, certain references that do the rounds on Twitterati and journalists and MPs here that they don't translate, do they? That Westminster jargon. Yeah. It's just, and this is your number one, isn't it? This is the number one thing that you hate the most. I mean, to go back 
to the, the Joe Swinson boxing shot. Yes. Because I really, really specifically hate everything that happens in that particular <laughs> I like that photo, that that photo opportunity. opportunity. I do get you coming from there. And... I mean, she was, she was wearing a t-shirt that had girly spot on it, and you kind of like, and then she had another one that had the la- it had, it had the lady hail sort of like spider brooch and things like that. And you kind of go, the girly spot is in reference to um, com- um, essentially comments made by Boris Johnson, and they were made. I'm pretty sure they're in Parliament, and yeah, they are. Well known. Um, no, they were made about Cameron. Sorry. Yes. yes. Sorry. Yes. And they're one of those things that everybody in Westminster talks about. And as soon as you go outside, yeah, something is going like, "Why is she wearing a girly swap thing?" Oh, because Boris Johnson said that thing about David Cameron. He's like, yeah, but why is she wearing it? Oh, because it's a reference to da 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 da. And why is that spider thing there? So, oh, it's a reference. And you kind of like. It's supposed to be sort of like subliminal messaging to people um, that they can pick up on little things about her or whatever. But in reality, um, it takes everybody a bit of Googling to work out what the hell those two things are supposed to mean, unless you are obsessed with it and have already decided that you like Joe Swinson and are going to vote for her in the election anyway, or one of her colleagues. And you kind of... What is the point? And... It's, it's those sort of things that I think just when people go I mean I think the worst thing on any politician is to be out of touch and I mean the most effective politician until recent weeks where he, he's decided to just completely go so completely off the boil I'm not even sure what, whether he's, he's got a political career afterwards to be honest but Nigel Farage before because he essentially just sort of said things how people say it in real life um, and just kept saying the same messages yeah. and just kept yeah, that's that's what politicians need to do. They do not need these silly, do not need silly photo opportunities. They do not need these little catchphrases that no. almost go like, "Come join our clique," and it's like nobody wants to be in your clique. Little Lib Dems. People do not like politicians. Yeah, uh, it's you so much better with the Lady Hill teacher. It's so much better to actually communicate with voters and to spend the time listening to people putting forward policies that they actually want implementing rather than spending your time working out how to make a really really pointed reference about your rivals on a t-shirt I think that's a very nice segue so that was our top five um, things we hate about the election we're going to do our top five things now about we love about the election because you know it's an election balance and all that and I think this segues you mentioned very aspirational, I think, there about how you know it's about engaging with people. Um, and elections are great because they do bring the public into contact with politicians yes, for the first time. However, I dare I say it that the reason that we are we love it so much is probably not in the same vein which you described. It's often when it goes <laughs> wrong. I would say that we tend to love it. I, th- I think you could find out a lot about a politician if they find somebody who heckles them or doesn't say, does not say nice things about them um, to their face when they're walking through their town. Um, I think my my ultimate favourite one was in um, Morley in Leeds. Yes, this is mine as well. And the man that said, please leave my town to Boris Johnson. 
and you could just tell that Boris was not in, he could not in any way know how to come back to it he was just very kind of like oh I will do soon <laughs> and that, 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 it was just like, I just absolutely loved the that Morley walkabout was the other one I think that I mean I used to work in Morley and I could have told them before they went that classic Morley then that is very classic Morley because um, you had that other bloke saying you know you were meant to be in Brussels you are not you are in Morley in Leeds which is, my, which is my personal favorite. you are in Morley in Leeds why are you here I, I think it's this sort of thing it's, it's, it's absolutely wonderful to see like you get a lot of like the back and forward in Westminster I don't think politicians actually know what people I, mean, I think what actually that shows quite significantly about the entire Brexit debate at the time was that yes people do want it sorting out quickly they want something to be done but I think the majority of people just want to just, go like, just pass a deal people are not like there's not a massive the majority of the British public want a deal of some kind that does the referendum this is interesting because I think you know it's fascinating all the leaders have been people on this campaign trail so I should say sorry if you're trying to listen by the way a lot of background noise we were this was a quiet pub when we came in a group of people have come in and started making noise so you know we're doing our best to carry on with this yeah, yeah. Um, so the the campaign that heckles the Stick for Boris. He's been in uh, Yorkshire this week with the flooding. We're going to come on to that in a little bit. Yeah. Corbyn got heckled by some crazy priest in Scotland who said, <laughs> you know, you're wearing your are you wearing your Islamic jihad scarf? Yeah. yeah. And then, and then, Jo Swinson had a protest when she, her battle bus, which again, the reason her battle bus, was blocked by a silent protest of people, which maybe, maybe my actual favourite moment for campaign, because a silent protest is both effective and also very ineffective depending on which media you're trying to communicate with. Yeah. However, I'm going to say this the other hand as well. I've said something critical about Jeremy Corbyn here. He does so well he does, he with meeting ordinary yeah. public when he's not challenged. When he, he does empathy so much better than Boris Johnson. But equally, when people meet Boris, they do still call him Boris. They don't say Johnson or why are you here or Prime Minister. There's, they still call him by his first name. And it's, it's an interesting factor that both the leaders actually, they're not Theresa May, they're not, they know, they're not, there's not this yeah. kind of like, one of the things that people can criticise Boris Johnson from the last week, you can't keep criticise him for not being, uncom- not being comfortable around people. Yeah, he does. He does go out there. Didn't she? she never did that, and actually, he, she wouldn't have gone on these walkabouts, would she? Two years ago, she'd have been kept in this bubble, away from the public. So that is the thing that has actually improved in this election. Actually, we're actually having more real public contact compared to two years ago. And Cameron did this as well. Cameron has got his soapbox. He went to that Facebook debate. He had that woman telling what she thought the Tories were. Yeah. And that's public contact. That's good. That's good. I mean, at, at the end of the day, if you're wanting to go out to and uh, go to the public to get their votes, you're going to have to accept that there's be a lot of people, apart from your faithful backers, that are have particular question marks over you, and yeah. you're going to have to answer them. And I think, in many ways, I mean, like. You know, as, as as much as much as well, I've I've kind of spent my 
a lot of time in the first half having a, a bit of a dig at Jo Swinson. She has a significant improvement, I think, on um, Tim Farron. And Vince Cable as well, I think, it's fair to say. She's more charismatic, I think. Let them struggle. They haven't really, I think, had a genuinely... haven't really had a genuinely charismatic leader since... Charles Kennedy, I'd say. I yeah. lived down to struggle with that. Charles Kennedy is somebody who actually, not to wish to sound insensitive, you would want to go for a drink with. You know, no, not meant to be a dick there. It's meant it's a reference to his club ability rather than yeah, poor man's alcohol. But you, would, you, 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 you would go and sort of like, you know. You'd want to socialise with yeah. you, you, you would like want to him. spend sort of an hour in his company. He was a charming, affable man. And, you know, not know what you say about Clegg or any other since then. None of them really had that for the Lib Dems. No. But people like Boris. And people, a lot of people like Corbyn as well when they meet him. Yeah. And that's a good thing. That's where the election does well. Right, okay. So we've had people. We're going to try big policy announcements now. Yes. So, I think it's fair to say that two years ago we didn't really have. Well, we had we had quite a lot from Labour. No one can accuse Corbyn's Labour of being short on ideas. John McDonnell is and his team are a veritable intellectual powerhouse of ideas. And I think the problem was always going to be this time around was going if you pick a manifesto that I think, to be honest, got the amazing performance as much as anything because it's a very good manifesto. But a lot of ideas there it was like, genuinely radical uh, and it was genuinely popular and the problem is it's two years on and there is a little bit of that kind of like difficult second album um, sort of aspect to it I mean, I mean, um, we don't know that. what the manifesto is going we to be. We don't yet. know at this point. The manifesto so, is due out in the next three to four days. But so probably by, by Thursday, we should know what's in the like. I've, 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 I've heard Thursday is what they were Thursday saying. Thursday is what I've heard as well. And I say, when I say heard on, like someone WhatsApp me, tell me it's Thursday. Jeremy Corbyn said, wait until Thursday. Um, <laughs> so you're right, the manifestos are going to be due out probably the end of next week the Tories may hold off a bit longer so one of the things we're going to see a difference in I think is the length of mm. the manifestos so Labour we can expect Labour's document to be quite thick I think in terms of ideas and actually one of the things that I think you know one of the things actually that Tories, the Tories did in 2017 and Labour doing this election is they have gone big on ideas Yes, and I like elections being big on ideas. A lot of people. The funny thing is, and I think it doesn't have to be. It doesn't matter the length of the manifesto here. When Thatcher was elected in 1979, she had a very thin manifesto, but there was an idea behind it. It was the same ironically with Blair in 1997 that they had eye-catching policies. Nick Timothy went the other way in 2017. He had a, a manifesto that was almost like, you know, we're going to tell you up front all the awful things we're going to do because the Tories were so confident they'd win a majority. Actually, unless you've got a majority, you can't do all the difficult things you feel you need to do. Yeah. And Boris Johnson and his lot are going the other way now where they're going light on ideas and actually going, you know, there's no intellectual gravitas behind it, no compelling notion. Whereas with Labour, you can't accuse them at this election. I think we've got to reference the fact that two days before we're doing this they announced what I think has been the, the most eye-catching policy of an election campaign that I can remember which is the free broadband for all which is a I mean it's a it's a mad idea it's a completely bonkers idea it's one of those ideas I think you can 
you can almost tell that in Labour HQ we're going we need to do something else that's eye-catching to get our nationalisation we've already said that we'll do all the main stuff the other stuff there to nationalise isn't really feasible isn't is a bit pointless and then to say we will do something that's a combination of a massive national infrastructure project on the scale of well, far ahead of like HS2, I think. Um, I mean, eight percent of the, I think it's eight percent of the UK is covered by full fibre. Yeah, less than ten percent at the moment. And I mean, to get a hundred percent of the country by twenty thirty, connect yet yeah, connected to full fibre and to nationalise it. Um, essentially provide it all for free and to work out how to do a complicated tax on internet giants that will involve having to bring in many other countries to actually make it effective and work and generate the by conservative estimates the Labour Party estimates of about 20 billion BT was saying 40 billion I would say that the two are probably extremely different for very good reasons yeah Um, but I would be surprised if it's either of those figures, but it would be somewhere probably around the middle. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those it's one of those policies which is, sounds absolutely amazing. And I mean, like, I've seen some memes going around. Oh, people complaining at um, free internet just because it might bankrupt the country, and you kind of go that. Well, there's only one country that's ever tried this. South Korea. Two countries that I've ever tried. Oh, what's the other one? Yeah, Australia. Australia. Oh God, I know. Australia. Australia tried it. I know. I know. South Korea is different because South Korea didn't actually yeah. build. Essentially, Australia tried to do exactly Corbyn's policy. Yeah. And it is considered one of the worst infrastructure projects ever to have taken place in the country. Cost massive over budget. Mm-hmm. Didn't work properly, and I mean, for a Labour Party government, if you didn't not deliver on that, you lose yeah. next time out. If broadband speeds were not high enough, and they don't need to do decide to do this. This is no. like, this to me feels like um, yeah. <laughs> this is positive, but actually this policy feels more like a totemic. You know, they're going after BT again, saying, "Look, you're nothing safe for us." You know. Uh, Corbyn and you know Corbyn was elected in 1983 to Parliament. Thatcher nationalised BT in 1984. It's like privatised BT in 1984. Yeah. So it feels to me like Corbyn and McDonald are just trying to get even with the ghost of Margaret Thatcher here to me. And you know, but it is a big idea. It's a, it is a big idea, and it is it is good because people are actually discussing it, debating it. You can have your views on it. Um, you know, whether or not you think it's feasible or anything, you, you know, for a minority Labour government to do as well, you know, there, there are five big nationalisations in Labour's manifesto. Plus, on top of that, you know, Tories talk about big policy ideas, Tories want to double. Actually, the thing that I love about Labour is they have got big ideas in this election, you know, that yeah. is something that they have been missing a lot of. And I mean, like, 2010. But there's, you know, a couple, if you look at the Tories, there's a indication that they're going to overturn beaching. Yeah, and that's again an important public service, an important public service thing as well. Yeah, and uh, I, I mean, in in many respects, it also shows a little bit about how the parties have um, changed. Um, the Conservatives now are far more about the um, less about the metropolitan. 
elite. Yeah, the Cameroons are all Cameroons I mean, are all gone now. Essentially, going your little village in the Yorkshire Dales might have its train station back open. These and the Labour Party one is all about young millennial workers in towns going that you can work from home. You can you can set up a small business online or whatever like that. We are These seeing. are things that actually might have some cut through at a local level in constituencies. If Boris wins the majority, particularly among seats in Northern England, that would be a reason why we're seeing the Tory party fundamentally realigning. However, he may not necessarily have got himself as many votes in Yorkshire or Derbyshire. <laughs> And there are seats like Derby, Derbyshire North East, Derby North, um, that Boris does need to take chiefly, as well as York, the two very slim majority that Labour hold that seat with. Yeah. Um, and John Grogan's the MP there. And this is to do with our third point, which is another event event, the interactive elections, which is events, dear boy. Events. events. <laughs> it, it's, it's always, I mean, like, I think we should say at the start that, you know, Obviously, for the people that are going through the flooding at the moment, yeah, it's hard. You know, this is this is not something you know. But what it does do, it reminds us that Westminster the parties can't drive the media can't drive the narrative of this campaign. There's always no. really something like 2017 was terror attacks. There are stuff outside real world, real life gets in the way, and this is what politics is really all about. And it's it's so um, interesting as well that the Conservatives um, have been preparing for the winter NHS crisis. Mm. Obviously, huge, huge issue if all of a sudden there's nobody's able to get in to go to the hospital. There's massive waiting queue, you know, there's massive waiting. A and E is completely full. There's huge crises. If that happened, that like, we're getting into flu season now, um, and uh, there is that sort of sense that you know, they've created a sort of task force at number 10 to specifically deal with the NHS for the fear that events in there will actually have an impact on the election and I find it so interesting that they would have thought of that and done that and then not thought what's the other thing that can happen in winter bad weather and have done something to perhaps mitigate the possibility that somewhere in the country there'll be flooding. I say that every year for about the last 10 years there has been major flooding somewhere in November, December time. And even then, I mean, especially in up North, Yorkshire's been done a few times. And even then, all the preparation is still done for the NHS hasn't really worked because this week we had the monthly hospital performance targets come out for October and November. Yeah. October. And they were the worst on record, including A&E waiting times. Hospital performance in general has never been so bad. It does make you wonder how much worse it might be. I mean, <laughs> it might have been. Maybe, maybe these are the good results. I mean, <laughs> but even then, I mean, so you're right, the, the weather situation has been the big unexpected, unexpected thing in this election so far. It was terror attacks in 2017, two of them. Which I think actually, because sometimes I think with, with events like the terrorist attacks that happened in 2017. I think encapsulated something about Theresa May's time as Home Secretary. Yes. When they're going like the country is not secure enough. Whose fault is that? Who is Home Secretary? And you can point specifically at, at an individual that happens to be running an election uh, to you know stay as Prime Minister. This time out, I mean. 
I struggle to see how there'll be something that specifically comes back onto onto Johnson in quite the same way. Yeah. But the NHS would have been probably the closest that might. Um, again, like the events bit, you know, Donald Trump turning up and causing chaos oh. may, may be one of those things that... It was like a splash, though, wasn't it? That was a yes. big thing on the day. Floods have been going over the weeks and that, that's become, that really has become part of the campaign the, now. The, the, uh, also, I think also the Bolton housing fire. Um, it's been massive as well, hasn't really? The, the, the video of the cladding falling down the side. Yes, and, you know, there's... You know, these these are the sort of things that. So the reason we've got this as a good thing is that these show politicians having to respond to events outside yes. of their control, and actually it can give you a sense of who you might want to be your leader in a crisis mm. as well. And also, it gives exactly. you have to think outside the box; they're not sticking to the script. And both the leaders have strengths in this, and both of them have the weaknesses. But it's a good, it's another dimension of the campaign. Yeah, that can only help inform patient faith. I mean. You know, if you were an ordinary member of the public, I can imagine that if you were to meet um, the leaders at the moment, as much as we have given him some stick um, in the past before, uh, Jamie Corbyn's absolutely brilliant at it because, you know, I, I mean, oh, great, the, the yeah. abiding image of Grenfell, one, one of them, you know, and that contrast with Theresa May just sort of stood warily to one side going, what's happening? I can't say um, I, I blame her entirely for that. I think, you know, she's not, she's, it's not, it's, lot, it's not lot, her strength. But, a know. lot of people would have found that situation difficult to know just how to, you know, how to speak to somebody who has probably lost, might have lost family members. She might have got, she might have got attacked me unauthentic and, you know, if you tried to be hug people and talk would be photographed. Yes, and, you know, I mean, these things can go horribly wrong and I think there was a little bit, it was, there was too much caution um, in how she did that. Whereas, whereas Corbyn, you got the sense that he genuinely did care and he yeah. genuinely did want to, yeah. he, he genuinely felt really upset about what had happened. He does do and it was that when, when he cares about something you can tell whereas you, you, Boris could manufacture that quite easily I think but Corbyn is genuine. Um, I think Sophia Podge is being genuine here. Uh, we'll quickly rattle through the last two. Um, one of the things that I actually really like about campaigns that have become a state since 2010 are the TV debates. Now I know we disagree on this and I think you've given time for your point of view so I'll just say quickly TV debates why are they good things? One we're having our first head-to-head TV debate here between Boris and Corbyn, between the two candidates we're going to be Prime Minister here. Now, there are a lot of reasons why the Lib Dems want to be included, and so with the SNP. And we've had TV debates three ways since 2010. We had seven ways in 2015. We had one that Theresa May didn't turn up to. But the reason this matters now is that for the first time in quite a long time, we genuinely have a chance for a change of government here. You know, mm. it's not like 2015 where people are trying to end the band to maybe get a hump on and there's a real chance for him to be Prime Minister with a SNP supporting him. So we need to see more of these leaders perform. And also TV debates are a good chance to spar off each other. It's a bit better than PMQs. It's also it's on a, it's on a, a widely available platform. There's going to be one on ITV this week, I think on the 19th, so Tuesday, two days from now. Yeah. So another on the BBC as well. And a lot of people thought they'd fizzle away, but we're four elections in now, and the TV debates are still here. And I think they can only be a good thing that the Pelham had to go through an additional level. I'm including question time specials yeah. here. It's an additional form of scrutiny, additional form of activity. Maybe necessarily, not necessarily yielding much light, but if I think about, for example, you know, 
the I Agree With Nick debate in 2010, yes. that had a massive impact. And same with Theresa May not going to the debate in 2017. The debates do help shape the campaign in some way. It is, it is actually interesting that apparently about 43% of floating voters uh, say that the debate will have a big bearing on how they will vote. Who, who's Prime Minister? Who's the leader? Matters to Prime as a choice. I think. Yes. I mean, the misgivings I always have is that they tend to be a bit, a bit reductive, a bit fake gladiatorial contests on television, and also, you know, the, the the sort of thing that fits in with American politics and the style that American politics is. Whereas in the UK, I mean, like, you know, if you watch that debate and you happen to be, I don't know, if you if you live in Scotland, what does that tell you about whether or not to vote at SNP? I mean, there's going to be oh. a follow-up, yeah. And I think the SNP should be... I think, to be honest, if I was doing the TV debate on Tuesday, I'd have Nicola Sturgeon up there as well, because she will be hmm. vote, voting with... I'd have Sturgeon and Farage on the stage. No offense to Joe Spinson, she has 20 MPs. Nigel Farage is polling at 10%. I think Sturgeon needs to be on the stage, because the SNP will decide the balance of power I mean, in Parliament. I mean, there's, there's the argument that them not running in any of the other three countries of the UK. I mean, there's, I think there's good questions to exclude all of them, but I think at the end of the day, I, I think that you should have Nicola Sturgeon, I think you should have Joe Swinson, and I think you should have Nigel Farage on there. In terms of polling, I would... I would suggest the Greens shouldn't be up there and say the Green the, the, the Greens have two two leaders. Um, the Greens one MP probably not likely to double that number. So um, you know, I think you've got to make decisions based on that in the polling. I think that I think that would be fair to allow all of the politicians on there to get the full. Wait, I mean that, that that's pretty much the rule of British politics. Be Farage and Johnson, then, because one of them's going to be prime minister on thirteenth of December. Right. However long after, it's been Corbyn and Corbyn and Johnson. Yes, what did I say? Farage, Farage and Johnson. <laughs> Farage may be prime. Actually, Farage might be prime minister in all the name. You never know. Um, you want Corbyn and Johnson then, because one, only one of them's going to be PM on the weekend. There, I think I portrayed it. Oh yeah, portrayed a slight, um, slight unconscious bias there. Yeah. Um, let's talk about actually what's probably been getting to me and why I. Uh, misspoke there which is the best thing which is the it's quite a big one I think it's election night itself actually because yeah there were, okay there are a lot of downsides of the UK elections you know 2015 um, only a quarter of people voted for a majority government but at the same time if you live in a certain right seat in a certain part of the country you can decide you know we can decide the outcome of the campaign if you live in Nuneaton for example where I'm from it's a marginal seat Milton Keynes North where I know my friend Tom Barrett's from yeah. you know I mean where I live in Tottenham it's a 35,000 Labour majority so but you know there are some genuinely exciting moments you know, I remember seeing Ed Balls lose his seat Nick Clegg lose his seat yes. the exit poll dropping is great because it's the first time anyone has a foggiest clue what's going on and I think the genuine thing as well I mean like with, with polling um in many respects it's very it's like saying for example to pick on like like the Lib Dems saying that they're 14-15% in the polls people go like oh well that's not going to translate into lots of English it depends where the concentrations are I mean 
southwest London, going out in towards like some of the Tory seats around in the south of England, where the Lib Dems not far behind in a lot of London. Especially in the southwest with the blue wall there. I think it'll do brilliantly. I think they may be losing a lot of support in the north, actually, because it might be I think it's going to Labour because the Labour vote is realising it's the Conservatives are targeting it and it's shoring up that Labour vote so you would not if you were in a a Labour seat where the Lib Dems were miles behind you get that thing off if you don't you know, you know it's if it's between Labour and the Conservatives if you were the Dem voter you would have to pick between the two um, in reality which one you actually want to do to your MP and mm. That kind of seeing how it works on election night, and I think you know, seeing those first results, there's always always a big name that goes. I think. Um, Who is it going to be this time round? I uh, have got an inkling. Oh, go on, go on. An inkling. Go on. The big name that might be to go will be Ian Duncan Smith. <laughs> that could be. Gee, Boris's majority is only five thousand as well, so there's. I, th- I think he's go against Boris. I think he will. He will win. I say this on the basis of I've, I've met the Labour candidate that's up against, and I think he will be the Labour candidate that's up against. I was in Chingford last Sunday, actually. It's quite well healed, but you know, there's enough Corbyn used to there to make a difference. I, I think. I think. I think the the key issue with Duncan Smith is that he's so lean. And I, I, I think he's got a real issue this time because he's. His majority was well down. It's five thousand. It's yeah. a winnable seat. I, I ten thousand before. I think Johnson's will remain on the basis that he's the prime minister. They'll put and the cause of a lot of it. And, and to give Boris credit, he's actually running in the seats. He could have gone to another seat. He could have switched. There were rumours. There were well, rumours. When Melton Rutland came up, the Tory majority of twenty thousand. The rumours he's going to go to Leicestershire and stand there. The very same truth. But he stayed in his marginal seat. The seat is marginal. I mean, you know, my 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 guess would be that if something like the prime minister uh, lost their seat, I would be would not be surprised to see a significant member of um, the Leave uh, Conservative section decide that having Boris in is actually better and to quit. Um, to allow him to have a safe seat again and return to power. That but is true. I, I kind of, I sense, I sense the toys are expecting um, bad things to happen around London and probably around the south for them. I think you're probably right. Yeah. I think they think they can take northern seats. I mean, I would, until he decided to quit, I would have said um, that the biggest name to have gone, I thought, would have been Tom Watson. I think that's the reason he's gone, to be honest. I think you add that into, um, you know, people concentrate on the internal battles of the Labour Party, but, I mean... The guy was very, very severely criticised over a paedophile scandal in, by by the by the police, and I mean, you, you don't talk you, about that enough, really. Do you, you, you you look at that report and it's damning. It's, 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 it's very damning, and should I mean, 
that would have an impact at local level. It's very difficult. I think it's very, very difficult to um, yeah. not hemorrhage a lot of votes in your local area. And I think he's probably made the right decision to step back from politics. Yeah. Um, for me, I think the two people that are going to go are the people on the environment briefs. I think Theresa Biddies will lose her seat. She only has a majority of 350 in Chipping Barnet. Yeah, where she lives the most. And uh, of course, the polling archetype in this election this is where the Tory majority is going to come from in this election. Uh, Workington, Sue yeah. Heyman, the Shadow Environment Secretary, just under 4,000 majority. Tories hold Copeland. I think they'll win it on Barrow and Furniture. I think the eastern part of western part of Cumbria is going blue yeah. in this election. I mean, all right, so we're going to finish up. We're, we're just over an hour now, so I think let's wrap it up. Uh, I don't think we'll do another one of these before polling, though. I don't think it's likely. We'll see what the manifestos bring. So <laughs> let's do predictions for polling or election night here. You know, the exit poll drops at 10, 10 p.m. on the 12th. And please do go and register to vote, by the way. You still have time. 26th of November is the deadline to register to vote, particularly for a postal vote as well. Yeah. do it because it's going to be dark cold and you want to make sure you vote in this election uh, particularly if you live in a marginal seat even if you don't you can swap your vote uh, and do tactical voting is always a good idea um, so predictions 10pm exit poll drops all the same my prediction will be that the Lib Dems will have doubled the number of seats out. So they'll have 40 Yes. Okay. Approximately. Around, around about that number. So it's like 35 40 Yeah. Um, Give you a range. I think that... I think after that, I think there'll be an SNP clean-up in... Scotland. Revival in Scotland. I mean, they were still the biggest party there, but I think they'll have increased the seats. I don't think they'll have taken all the seats no, like they did in 2015. To 50 seats maybe? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think and be more. the two main parties, something says to me, small Tory majority. <laughs> but I think it's going to be very, very tight. I do not think it's going to be a particularly big majority. So, 5 to 10 seat majority, we're talking, what, 330 seats maybe? Similar to what David Cameron got in 2015? I think so, yes. All right. I think it'll replicate the Cameron results, uh, and I think it will be very, very different. Below 250 seats? I think Labour will bear the brunt. Of it. I think they could be in for quite a bad performance. But I think a lot of it will come down to that manifesto and I think a lot of it will come down to these debates. And I think there's still time for Labour. I would would, would not rule out another empowerment at all. No. But I, I struggle to see where Labour increases its seats. Its number of seats. I, you see, I, I mostly agree with you there. I don't think the Lib Dems are going to have as much of a revival as people think they will. I think they'll probably poll maybe 25 to 30 MPs. I think Tories will minimise their losses in Scotland. I think they'll pay off to more seats, people realise. Yeah. Yes, they'll probably crack about 40 seats, I reckon. They'll pick up more, but maybe no more than 45. I think that, based on the polling I've seen so far and the campaign 
styles and the policies of the parties and what I've spoken to people outside of London. The Tories are going to clean up a lot of seats in the Midlands and the north of England. So we're talking, you know, a Tory comfortable Tory majority about 40 seats here. Not, not, we're not talking a landslide, we're talking a comfortable majority here. Tories on about 360 seats, Labour down to below maybe 210, maybe 200. They're all about 250 at the moment, and those seats are all come. Tories might lose a few, but they'll pick up seats like Kensington again. Lidlands, Kensington will make sure that goes back to Tories. Workington will go to Tories. Canterbury will go back. Prediction here for the bellwether: Bishop Auckland will go Tory. I think Brexit vote. The majority there is much lower than it used to be. Hartlepool will go Tory. Lots of the north side. Yeah. The seat Boris can build on what Theresa May did in 2017, winning these northern seats. Remember, she held Copenhagen, Walsall North, Shipmans for South. She held Copenhagen traditionally as well. Yeah. Boris is going to build on that, and that's where he builds a majority from, on his get Brexit done message. It's very effective, it's going to work to get a majority in the next parliament. Okay. We'll see, and if Labour get a majority, we're both going to look like absolute idiots. Yeah. Uh, and if we do, then um, I suppose we'll have to do some sort of forfeit. <laughs> What's but, the forfeit uh, going to be if Labour get a majority? Oh, I don't know. Well, we are in a pub, right? A pub. I think, I think, we have to buy someone else a drink. <laughs> I think it should be a red coloured drink, given it. I think yeah. it's quite an obvious uh, oh, buy a glass of wine for a stranger. Yeah. yeah. So, but, um, in a non creepy way, you know. <laughs> non creepy way. <laughs> Okay, oh, I think this has been a bumper edition. Liam, thank you very much again for the time. No uh, today is the 17th of November 2019. You have been listening to GNT, the politics podcast from the Groucho Tendency. I've been Mike Indian. Please check out the blog. I'll be doing stuff on the campaigns up until polling day as well. Also, I will be popping up on Talk Radio intermittently and probably some links to stuff I've been doing there and also to the Share Radio podcast I do with Simon Rose as well. Liam and I will at the very least be back after the campaign launches to get the campaign finished to do some post-mortem. Yes. And until then, happy voting. And we'll see you after polling day. 